Turn to the Anapanasati Sutta. Because when mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivated, it is of great fruit and great benefit. When mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivated, it fulfills the four foundations of mindfulness. When the four foundations of mindfulness are developed, and cultivated, they fulfill the seven enlightenment factors. When the seven enlightenment factors are developed and cultivated, they fulfill true knowledge and deliverance. And how because is mindfulness of breathing developed and cultivated so that it is of great fruit and great benefit? Here, a bhikkhu gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut, sits down. Having folded his legs crosswise, sets his body erect, and establishes mindfulness in front of him. Ever mindful he breathes in, mindful he breathes out. <coughs> breathing in long, he understands, I breathe in long. Or breathing out long, he understands, I breathe out long. Breathing in short, he understands, I breathe in short. Or breathing out short, he understands, I breathe out short. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, experiencing the whole body. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, experiencing the whole body. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, tranquilizing the bodily formation. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, tranquilizing the bodily formation. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, experiencing rapture. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, experiencing rapture. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, out, experiencing pleasure. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, out, experiencing the mental formation. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, out, tranquilizing the mental formation. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, out, experiencing the mind. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, out, gladdening the mind. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, out, concentrating the mind. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, out, liberating the mind. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, out, contemplating impermanence. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, out, contemplating fading. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, out, contemplating cessation. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, out, contemplating relinquishment. Because this is how mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivated, so that it is of great fruit and great benefit. <coughs> so here we have this 
sequence which I've slightly abbreviated for obvious purposes, just where it's repeating itself, um, sets up the basic uh, scenario, the realm, the, um, the process of mindfulness of breathing. Um, there are 16 references in there, and they are, they are bunched into four groups. The four groups are called the four tetrads. Yeah, tetrad is a group of four, so it's four groups of four. So the first group is breathing in and breathing out long, uh, breathing in, breathing out short, breathing in, breathing out, experiencing the whole body, breathing in, breathing out, tranquilizing the bodily formation. So there you have the four, um, the long, the short, the whole body, and then tranquilizing the bodily formation. At four. And this is the first four, the first tetrad. And as it is married and matched to the four foundations of mindfulness, it is, uh, is generally understood um, for quite sound reasons to refer specifically, most specifically, to the foundation of body or uh, rupa, which is the first foundation of mindfulness. And rupa itself actually means form. <coughs> so it it um, can refers in general to the what's called the aggregate of, of body, which means the kind of bodily form, that which makes up body, that which we take body to be, that which our mind holds as body, that which we see as body around us, that which we experience as body within us, rupa. So we can see this means both uh, what is called kaya, which is actually the, uh, refers to particularly the, the, um, the flesh body, the, the grouping together of sense organs and skin and tissues and bones. And also, um, body as uh, rupa as experienced in terms of warmth, in terms of solidity, in terms of liquidity, in terms of of um, vibration or movement. So, um, rupa is sometimes uh, seen as just these four elements. So, rupa is like an expression of the way that the that body is conceived, that the way that body receives, a the way that mind receives a form, the shape, rupa literally means a kind of shape. Um, so this is quite significant in that it does always brings across the understanding that we're talking about an experience, not some objective dissociated reality, but an experienced one. And that experience is co-nascent and dependent on mind, on the way we experience it. You can't have an experience without something that's doing the experiencing. And in this way, then obviously the way that one experiences something, the way that one attends, the way that one looks, the way that one sensitizes, where one is numb, um, 
the kind of aims and objectives one has, the filters one has, the perceptions one has, the prejudices or the fascinations one has, that very much affects what you experience. So you may experience body as male or female, you may experience body as large or small, as old or young, as beautiful or, or not beautiful, you may experience it as sick, as well, as vigorous, as strong, as weak or slight. And but these would all be seen as as you know as an experience of body. Mm. Most fundamentally, all we can know about experience is it changes and it's dependent. Um, how old is old? How what is what is beautiful? What is what these things mean? These are dependent on <coughs> on certain standards that we may have. Like when I was ten, I couldn't believe you know how you could be as old as twenty. And I never thought I'd get to be, I couldn't understand how you could actually survive to be 50 years old. I thought I'd, I was totally shocked when my father told me he was 50. You know, kind of, there I am, you know, nearly there myself. And so, and he doesn't feel old at all, really. It just feels like this way. <laughs> you know, it's, it, these are, you know, these are kind of the way we experience things. And we can have kind of socially um, accepted or socially mesmerized perceptions of what is large or small or beautiful or ugly or whatever. Um, but these, of course, are maybe even a whole society may be under hypnosis of what these things actually mean. But it still means that they are dependent on, on mind, even if we don't have much say over it. It's dependent on a mental... Um, perception and a mental act of attention. So, you know, if you're a doctor, how do you perceive a body? If you're a fashion designer, how do you perceive a body? If you're a photographer, how do you perceive a body? If you're a hungry lion, how do you perceive a body? Do you, when you're a hungry lion, do you think that's an old body, that's a young body? Or do you think meat? <laughs> they all, all have their truth, don't they? Rupa. Um, but so when we're uh, in this kind of, so we, this is what phenomenology means. It means you're experiencing something, you know, a, a, in, a, you know, not not actually um, associating it with particular subjective statements. You're just looking at something as a phenomenon, you know, and then you can of course do different uh, subjective interpretations of that. But fundamentally, rupa is rupa. It's what what makes it rupa is its root. It's shaped. It's you know that's its unique, that's its basic quality. It's kind of there as something that your your mind contacts, receives an impression <coughs> of, sees it's a shape, and then does all kinds of perceptual definitions of it, which is called nama, which is naming, defining, which includes the, even the way that you the way that you focus on something. But in essence, looking at it really radically, rupa is just rupa. It's just shape. It's just that. It's just a, 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 an impression. So this impression can be received uh, most, most radically, most fundamentally, in terms of these elemental experiences. That is, you know, something when it is either seen with the eye, the gaze goes out and it, it stops. It hits something. 
you know, it can, if the gaze doesn't, isn't able to focus on space very easily, but then a form appears and the gaze can then hold that. Yeah, so that's one definition of, of rupa, it's got solidity. You know, your mind, your, your attention stops at that point. It's solidity, it, it, it covers an area. Um, the mobility of something which means it, it's 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 mobility um, it's it's either you know it, it's subject to 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 shifting and moving and changing this is something else we can we can experience about a form it, it vibrates it has a vibrant quality it pulses it it uh, has the nature to to, to move and we can measure things in terms of their mobility, something kind of very ephemeral and flickering, or something that that hardly moves at all and very slow or static. In terms, so when we contemplate the body, can be still. So when it's still, it's slightly breathing. You don't realise that until you see a dead body. Then they they they've got it down. They're still. <laughs> you know, most people sitting still are still. There's subtle movement there. Um, it's cohesive which means it has a certain shape to it it sticks together into a certain shape if we didn't have moisture we'd just be a pile of dust when you see a burnt out body ashes they, that's dry mm. the, the water element has left it's got sand, grit these things, the living bodies have moisture, that's which enables them to sustain a shape rather as wet sand you can form it into a, a sand castle or a shape when you dry it out it won't form that shape it just it won't hold a shape anymore so when you contemplate the shape of something you know it, the way that it sticks together into certain you know forms and flows and curves that's that's its liquidity that's its liquid element and of course we can detect liquidity more consciously in terms of the Moisture, the moisture in the in the in the mouth, um, dampness, uh, stickiness, uh, or, or desiccation, dryness. Warmth and cold, caloricity. Um, so this this foundation of mindfulness is to to train the mind to first of all to, to in other words to to simplify his experiences to actually train the vitaka the focusing the fixing of the mind and into that in that particular way this is a form this is a shape mm. and that's different from a uh, feeling or the Vedana, which is the second, and it's different from the affective, uh, perceptual resonances of knowing, of inferring, of implying, which is to do with mind, which is how we receive something, um, you know, the kind of perceptual, cognitive, emotive um, uh, affectations that occur when there's some impression in consciousness. This is mind. 
and mind patterns or mind states, which is the fourth foundation, which is the particular patterns that that being affected takes, a pattern of joy, a pattern of greed, a pattern of anxiety, a pattern of, of indifference. You know, that, that actually the being affected by something, first of all, there's being affected, there's knowing it in some way, I use knowing very broad, so I don't mean, co- you know, some sort of thinking process, I mean there's some appreciative cognition of, oh, it's that, what's that, and then feeling moved by it or affected by it, and then the pattern of that of being affected takes is the fourth foundation. We may be uplifted, we may be irritated, we may, and then these are the mental patterns or the fourth foundation of mindfulness. Now the Panasati takes us through that by giving us a particular um, object, the breath, which, in which, which actually manifests or is able to manifest all these foundations. And, it's, and the beauty of it is the breath is exceptionally um, supple, malleable. It's light. And it's something that refines attention. So when the attention is more refined, then just as the example of, of um, purifying gold, the more that you, you have something that's refined and inspected carefully, and carefully attended to, you can refine the the raw the dross out of it. You can take out the the uh, dullness or the blindness or the clinker out of the, out of the out of the way that we um, experience rupa, vedana, uh, mind uh, and mind patterns. Rupa, vedana, chitta, dhamma. So that the mind patterns can begin to to change from being patterns that are associated with wrong seeing, seeing things in a confused way, avijja, wrong seeing, either seeing things in a confused way or seeing things in a corrupted way or you know stubbornly refusing to see things, ignoring something. Hmm? This is these are the so the patterns that arise out of avijja are things like fear, anxiety, uh, aversion, uh, and so on. And we get, those can be transformed from that into the patterns that arise that are associated with awakening or the seven factors of enlightenment, mindfulness, investigation of Dhamma, um, energy, rapture, tranquility, concentration, or samadhi, collectedness, and equanimity. And so these are the kind of patterns of mind that are associated with, with waking, waking up, with, with, with uh, purity. Mm. And these four tetrads pre- present ways of operating specifically within this general system, <coughs> general generalized statements of these four foundations. So when you're talking about rupa in terms of breath, you mean particular form of a breath. So you're not dealing with a kind of a whole huge physical form, you're dealing with a, a form, the rupa, the form that a breath takes. So that, you know, that actually tests the mind, doesn't it? We have to work on it to acknowledge that breath 
you know, something we don't perhaps don't attend to very much, has a particular form to it. It's a very simple form. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the beauty of it. It's, it's basically it's it's in out. Uh, that's its form. It has that movement to it. It's a certain length. Um, it's a certain, you know, it has changing vibrances to it. It has changing temperature to it. But it's discernible. So it has that form. It's just like saying someone is five feet tall or six feet tall. You're not saying anything about you know, the, their nails or the color of their hair. Just well, that. Uh, and then so it, it's it, the beauty of the breath is because it is so simple. It, it tends to reduce the perceptual proliferation and the emotive responses to that perceptual re- proliferation that occurs around, say, a physical body, which we can do all kinds of things all over. Mm. Of course, this means that um, the mind and our attention is normally so energized by doing all this stuff, by perceptual takes and attraction and aversion. You know, it's stimulated by those particular mental patterns so that the breath, which doesn't bring, give you very much in that line, at first is rather difficult to discern at all. Uh, it reminds us that attention is not, is not an objective fact. Attention is a... Um, biased it's not uh, experience it's a sankara it's a, the act of focusing upon something um, is not something that uh, it has particular um, aims goals um, you know so attention can be motivated by fascination by contempt you know these are gross forms of it uh, attention can be affected by indifference boredom um, affected by fear or anxiety. So these are all things that affect our uh, attention. Um, and so as you begin to practice with something like the breath that doesn't really add very much, then some of the uh, the blotches on attention or begin become more apparent. It sort of it, it brings them out. The, mind, the attention is unwilling. You want something of a perhaps a bit more going, a bit more interest in it. Um, the attention can be <coughs> numb, so it's not it's not used to to feelings or to to defining something as as plain and ordinary as a breath. It can be numb like that. It can be fickle. That is, it with it wants to be with it for a second or two, but then had enough of that. Let's do something else. What's on the other channel? It can be so this kind of fickle, wavering thing. Attention could be very forceful. Like, give me that breath. You know, push in there and try and hold it and control it. Uh, attention could be like that. Attention could be timorous. Well, I don't really know if I'm really up to a breath yet. Uh, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> it can kind of waver and haver and hang back. Is there something else? You know? Or even a feeling of, well, I don't think I'm really good enough to release this. So these are the these are united what sankara is are these these karmic patterns that manifest within us, and uh, just to to recognise that it's not that anybody has one karmic pattern playing all the time, you know we may be forceful <laughs> in some sometimes and kind of timorous in other times and you know we have a whole range of karmic 
stuff flowing through that affects our attention. So some things you can feel very full on about and other things you're a bit sort of numb and nebulous about and insensitive to. And the breath helps to equalize, purify, level out attention. Um, and just in this, in this first foundation itself, just getting a clear register of breath. And that means coming back to it again and again and learning to operate Vitaka Vichara. Vitaka, so this is the first level of meditation is with Vitaka Vichara. Second level of meditation is when that's no longer necessary. First level of meditation is with Vitaka Vichara, which means there's a definite effort or inclination. It doesn't have to be forceful. It can be through inspiration. It can be through you know, it, but it's a definite inclination to to fix, to point, to sustain the direction of the mind onto an object. Mm-hmm. It's that, the giving of attention, the pointing of attention onto an object. And vichara is that which sustains that. Vichara has various characteristics. One characteristic is it sustains. Another characteristic is that it moves around. The third characteristic is it, it, it reports. And these has these three characteristics to it. And just as a, a child, a young child of two, three, four, actually can't operate the body very well. So Maybe it's starting to learn how to speak, and what it takes to actually operate the vocal cords and the mouth and the lips to make these sounds. So obviously you get baby talk, don't you, when a baby can't actually make the, quite the right sounds. You know, so it stumbles over polysyllabic words and makes near misses at it, because it can't quite, the brain can't actually quite hear and cognize and form a clear reference to that particular sound. So the, the Vitaka Vichara in the brain is not yet fully attuned. It even comes down to bodily articulation, bodily locomotion. So a child can't write, can't operate a pencil. And how does it how does it learn? It learns because it wants to. It sees other people doing it. It wants to learn. It wants to do that. So it, it knows that somehow this stick of wood is associated magically with this black and white marks that magical things come out of, pictures and trees and flowers and, and words come out of. So well, it's interesting. The interest is aroused and the faith is aroused. You see, other people do it, I can do it. Chandra is aroused, I want to do this. And then what happens? Gets, old, gets his little paw around the pencil, four fingers around it like the way he holds his spoon, Stabs on the paper, rip, rip, rip. Oh, wasn't very magical, you know. So it's very clumsy. So the, the vitaka is there, you know, it can grasp the thing, but the vichara is a bit uneducated. Doesn't got the quite the refinement, and it takes a while, doesn't it, before it, the that system actually knows the kind of pressures that are required to hold a pencil. If you hold it with all your fingers, you can't do the subtle. You can't put curls on the wires. You tend to gouge holes in the paper. You hold it with just a couple of fingers. The pressure is just about right, and these you get more of the flow of it. 
because you've got more articulation in in the three joints of two fingers than you've got in a whole hand. So you can get the kind of subtle bends and curves in. And then it takes a while to learn how to do that. And you don't learn it through your brain. You know, through thinking, that is. Somebody can say, kid, pick up the pencil, hold it in your fingers, and do this. And the child will pick it up, and if it doesn't hold it in the two fingers, it <coughs> didn't hold it hard enough, <coughs> held it too hard, tried, you know, couldn't quite get it. The way that a child learns is by doing it, getting it wrong, re-establishing sadha <laughs> and chanda, <laughs> trying again, I think it was a bit getting it wrong, and over a, about a few years maybe, months, years, you learn how to write. Once you learn how to write, you get kind of looser and looser until after you're about 25, you can't write anymore, you just scribble. <laughs> to computers because <laughs> you didn't sustain the Vitaka Vichara wasn't sustained you get kind of casual because you lose your sadhar and chandra you think well everybody else is doing computers who needs this anymore and uh, I'll get somebody else to do it phone them up <laughs> so it needs uh, that sense of actually you know sustaining you know, okay, just, just do this just to do this much now similarly when you're operating the, the breath the breath is happening and there's a recognition that this is calming it's uh, quietening it's, it's gladdening um, and other people do it um, there's benefits to come out of it the Buddha explains this and you, you do you know you do recognize because you do get that time with it when it, it feels it's somehow very natural the breath the breath is probably our first recognizable pattern as, as sentient creatures. When you come into the world, probably the first thing you hear is a heartbeat. Boom, boom, boom. So that's your first pattern. Yeah. Second one is your own pattern is breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. Of all the scrambled experiences of colors and shapes and sounds and sensations, wetting yourself and getting hurt and feeling hungry and all this kind of thing. But the actual steady one is in, out, in, out, in, out. So that your jitta actually, that's your home base. That's unit, that's, the, that's unit one. The unit, the first unit of time is one breath. So it's actually... Um, People working in that area of, of neurology and um, study of human human systems notice that actually the, the length of a breath of a, of a breath on a normal sort of steady calm in breath out breath about three seconds that is the normal that's your unit whereby if you're speaking and you put more ideas than that, than one in three seconds, people can't follow it. Uh, but uh, uh, if a sort of reason, you know, if one's in a normal, fairly calm, alert, attentive state, you can follow one new concept every three seconds, you can register it. Um, 
a line of poetry is takes, generally takes about that long to read. If it's longer, then you read it quickly. If it's shorter, you linger over it. So you, you know you can do things by lengthening and short and shortening a line of poetry to actually speed up the rhythm with which a person looks at it and reads it. Um, be interesting to time TV commercials to see just how long each image actually lingers in the mind, probably quicker. And they, they tend to stimulate, don't they? When you're watching something really fast, then it's coming at more than three seconds, you feel stimulated, you feel energized. So the in-breath and the out-breath are like planet Earth. They're your basic registers of measurement of cognition. So when the mind attunes to that rhythm of in-breath and out-breath, it feels normal. Or normality is there as a standard with which one begins to perhaps recognize you know, some of the, the swoops and swirls of, um, of overstimulated or, or understimulated, you know, unenergized consciousness. Restlessness and dullness, in essence, you know, which are the, the most fundamental hindrances. But then we can look at the, and we can look at the topics that, that come up with those. You know, one is restless because of this, one is dull because it's this time or whatever. But um, just looking at the very, um, you know, more intimately at the experience of the mental, the rhythm, the mental rhythm of, of of restlessness, which is scrambled and and, and jumpy and, and frenetic and unsatisfied. Or the rhythm of dullness, which is lethargic and it's sticky and it, it lies down, it won't move with something. And just looking at those as, if you like, mind states and then marrying them to the breath, bonding them to the breath, breathing onto them so that the breath rhythm of the breath sensation contacts the jitta, the afflicted jitta experience of restlessness or dullness and it begins to move it in that particular way just as if one is stroking uh, a, a dog or stroking someone's hand you actually why do you, you cuddle someone or stroke someone in order to transfer a particular soothing rhythm or vibration to that that person or that creature you yeah. You know, if you stroke someone, you soothe them, unless you kind of massage them or punch them. <coughs> but <laughs> normally, uh, you know, just by stroking, you're, you're putting a particular pattern of sensations onto that person's sensitivity that then they can attune to, and it steadies them, you know. And I think we all know patterns of speech, rhythms of speech, you know, when you say so someone is speaking like a machine gun, then your jitter starts to feel, you know, the same kind of harmless, nice things. Then your jitter starts to feel agitated or, or pressured or made urgent. Mm. So, just in, so the jitter does is a responsive experience that responds to the to the impressions that are placed upon it. So if we firmly and continually and steadily and in the right spirit with this with this sensor this this vitaka system this vitaka uh, propensity keep placing the jitta onto the breath 
it begins to take up the rhythm, the resonance of the breath. Breath is given. You don't have to do breath. Breath is given to you. It happens naturally. It's got that ease to it. You can begin to <coughs> let go of your control systems. Uh, you can relax psychologically. You can relax with the breath. Breath energizes. It's your basic source of, of vitality. Therefore, instead of stimulating, one can attune to just receiving and being, being vitalized by the breath. Um, breath is a place to be. So our, our need for a mooring, our sense of trying to find out who we are and, st- and stable ourselves as, uh, stabilize ourselves upon something. This Bhava instinct finds a place to rest on the breath. We can be the breath. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can respond to the breath. So our the, the mind that wishes to express itself, um, compassion, kindness, wants to involve, can involve with the breath. In fact, it has to, has to involve itself with the breath. But um, coming through the body, through the body of the breath, then you make the root, the, 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 the um, I don't mean the R-O-U-T-E, you know, is the, the direction or the, the, the voyage um, is through the body. Um, so that instead of when, when we're actually expressing ourselves or bringing in intentions, it comes first of all from dealing with a, with a, with a physical reality rather than with an ideal. So there's a difference between imposing a set of abstract notions onto one's body, like be strong, sit up straight, be this way and that way, to first of all traveling into the body, what is the body, and then letting one's mind uh, sensitize to the body rather than be dominated by theories and ideas. Feel the body, acquire that kind of humility and sensitivity and responsiveness, and then just the gentlest of inflections of the mind have, can have an effect because the mind is actually now, <coughs> the resonance of the mind is bonded to the resonance of the, this body impression. It's not an abstract notion that you're stimulated by. It's not a mental rhythm. It's a rhythm that's coming from body. Therefore, the two connect at a kind of subtle uh, physiological level. So when, when the Vitaka is established, and vichara is a thing that <coughs> if vitaka c- connects, vichara bonds by uh, moving around, by making a, 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 a proper connection, feeling it out, modulating the quality of the vitaka so it doesn't push too hard. You know when you're losing, when you're coming apart, when you're losing your, your grip, and it's saying, just that, wait a minute, you're losing it now, now get back there. And, and also reporting on it. And the reporting is what keeps the sense of interest. It keeps you, um, keeps the mind alert. If, you, if there's no reporting, then the mind goes numb. We lose interest. And this reporting is, first of all, to, to get a sense of, like, um, you know, you're, you're getting some response. So mm-hmm. there's a feeling of interest because uh, something is speaking to you, if you like. You're picking up the quality of the breath. 
you're sensitized to it. It also helps you to to modulate the meditation, that is modulate where you place your attention. So Vichara will recognize, well you get in the middle of the breath, but round about the end of it you tail off altogether. Um, your in-breaths you're great on, A's, your C-minus is on the out-breaths, you know, out-breaths are basically out to lunch, picnic time. And then you come back again in the in-breath saying, what a good boy am I? And then out-breath, you're out to lunch again congratulating yourself. So Vichara is like a, a re- reporting in this particular way. And Vichara can then offer suggestions. You know, the process of Vichara then stimulates suggestions like, well, maybe if you get a little firmer up to the out-breath, or put a number on it. That'll get you a little more present with it. Put a number on it. Call it one. You know, great idea. Call the next one two. Call the next one. Come on. <laughs> and then you realize you need, well, don't do less than five otherwise it's too easy don't do more than ten otherwise you spin off do that maybe that will help you to just get a little more hands on feel for that breath so this is vichara reporting and then so you're getting a kind of bit of a feedback loop on this experience Buddha said um, it's just like if you had a, a, a great king and he had a couple of chefs, and the first chef every day would make him some food, and he'd get rice, and he'd get dal, and he'd get potatoes, and he'd get um, cabbage, and he'd put them on a plate, and he'd go to the king and say, Sire, here's your meal, put them down in front of the king and walk off. And the king would look at his meal, and he'd get his pick around, dal, don't like dal, cabbage, don't like cabbage, eat the rice, oh, nice potatoes, eat that, and that would be his meal. The next day, what would come along would be rice, potatoes, cabbage, dal. The king again would go, mm, dal, like dal, cabbage, don't like cabbage, potatoes, mm, eat that. The next day, along would come dal, cabbage, potatoes, and rice. So, this is the when there's not much vichara. And he said, after a while, the cook gets the sack. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the other cook is the person who goes along and he prepares the same dish. And he puts it down, and he stands behind, near the king, and he watches what he does. He knows the king, doesn't think much of the dal, doesn't like cabbage, goes for, gets very excited about the rice and potatoes. So next day, he says, okay, I'll put, maybe I'll put a little less, put more potatoes and rice on it, and less dal and cabbage. And he watches, and he says, king, oh, this is very nice. <laughs> so then after five days, the chef's made, you know, into the, the master chef. And he just brings on rice and rice and potatoes, because <laughs> he's actually stood there and watched what's going on. So similarly, you know, if you're the when you're meditating, if you just kind of blindly think, do this system, do this technique, do this, and you don't actually watch what's going on and find out your mind is going, yeah, <laughs> I'm not interested in this. <laughs> don't give me this stuff. You know, then, then you. Think, Eat it. It's good for you. Um, it doesn't work. No. So you say, what is conducive? What is conducive? So maybe it's something like breathing in, may I be well. Breathing out, may I be well. Breathing in, may all beings be well. Breathing out, may all beings be well. Breathing in, may my body be well. Breathing out, may my body, may others people's bodies be well. Breathing in, may I 
abide in peace, breathing out, may abide in peace. And there's things like that, little kind of suggestions. Hmm. Numbers, suggestions. So this is what we need to, first of all, make sure the mind can eat its food. Hmm. And once it starts eating its food, it gets healthier, stronger, a little less temperamental, a little more malleable. So this is, if you like, the first aspect of, first of all, what it so sublimely and so simply says, ever mindful he breathes in, mindful he breathes out. Ever mindful. That's all you need to do. <laughs> this is nice to know. So this is what it entails, this kind of mindful response to, to the breath. And you get a bit closer to it, and then uh, as you start to feel more consistently in touch with Breathing, it's a process, breathing, you feel, you know, you can see quite readily as a pattern, your mind goes to it quite readily as a pattern, your mind trusts it quite readily as a pattern, your mind warms to it quite readily as a pattern, something that you feel, oh, this is rather nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. Then you can start to, to bring in the measuring intelligence, the, the mano aspect. You've started to kind of train the citta, please the citta, and then you can start to do a little bit of tailoring on it. And this is where you get the long breaths, short breaths. Um, now, there are different takes on what these simple statements mean. Um, for Some people feel that one should actually deliberately start breathing in very deeply and then, then gradually control and refine the breath till you're breathing in very slight, shallow breaths. This is one way of looking at it. Um, it's not the approach I've deliberately practice myself. Other people feel it means, well, if a breath is long, you know it's that way. If it's short, you know it's that way. That's sort of random thing, which um, could also be the case. What I'll suggest here, um, which you can practice and work with and take as, you know, what it is, just my suggestions, is we look at the breath in, in several ways. The first way being the way which... involuntary muscular activities in the torso that operate the breath, you know, the bellows, the slow pump, which involves certain contractions in the abdomen and um, the diaphragm and a distending of the intercostal muscles so the chest opens, uh, the ribs slightly, the chest opens and the lungs expand. There's a bodily experience. I call this, when I use this as the long breath, the full breath, so receiving that, you know, as with body, um, if you try to force it, then it's going the wrong way. While we sit um, in a particular position, the, the position that you sit in that you adopt should be the position that your body feels most settled in so that the breathing can be full and uncramped. It gets cramped if you're if you get the 
hinging of your back over. So if your back, if your spine twists over, then you tend to get, this is obviously going to restrict the abdomen. Yeah. So you won't get the full breath. You'll breathe throat chest. Um, so if you're like that, you're not going to get the whole breath. Um, also, perhaps more subtly, um, the tendency or the, the possibility of the chest being held in by the shoulders. Slight cramping. Mm. So if you're crunched over and your chest is held in, then you're probably only going to get in and out your nose and up and down your throat. Uh, yeah. If your head's drooped over, you'd be lucky to breathe at all. We might have to give you a gas mask. <laughs> <laughs> the whole lot caves in. So we're looking at trying to, to get these breath channels so they're, they're open without doing some kind of, you know, tremendous muscular conscious effort in a way, but a conscious allowance. This uh, is something that one often has to spend a bit of time doing because of our, the, um, unlike in, in India, where bodies are not that supported, they, they start, they learn to support themselves quite quickly. Our bodies are, tend to be propped into chairs and on things so that you, your, the body is just supported by its bones. You put a heap of bones in a chair and the muscles just kind of hang around the bones and tap the keyboard or twiddle the steering wheel. But there's no, actually, there's no muscular effort involved in, the, in, in sustaining the posture. And we kind of like it like that. You know. So over a period of time, then all this stuff, the muscular, the posture muscles get very weak and slack. And it, even your tissues start to distort so that, it, it, that the tissues grow and bond and the bones actually start to, to take on that particular shape uh, of sitting in a chair, whether you're sitting in a chair or not, you're walking sitting in a chair, you know, your shoulders are hunched over your desk and so that you, you one gets like that. So it does sometimes take conscious exercise and effort to to energize the um, the, the posture muscles. Essentially uh, I always begin with the, the lower body. If you get this right, your sitting posture is right and your spine comes out of the, the hip region um, and curves in. It's its natural position is to curve in, concave. And one does that, you can use a cushion or something like that. It's done gently so that the spine then is balanced. And it's really a matter of making sure that you're your, your upper body doesn't tilt over and then distort that balance. Mm -hmm. Breathing in, breathing out, the long breath, the full breath, the body, the muscular breath of the, of the, of the respiration process. And of course, when, when one begins to establish that as a standard, then, then and place yourself <coughs> in a position where you can receive that impression very clearly, the breath then, then holds the body. The body is held up by the breath. You just, all you have to do really is put, is align yourself in a position where the breath can take over. And then it's actually the, the, the posture muscles and this, the breath itself together hold the body. You can feel them pushing the body, slightly opening the body, then relaxing the body, opening the body, relaxing the body. It's subtle. But that's, that's all that's required. 
when you when you find it when you've come into true. So uh, good posture is is something that is well worth attuning to, mm-hmm. uh, and not just when one's sitting, but in meditation. But obviously, the more that you're aware of it in the day, the more that that attention and that um, that you won't be accidentally twisting up and distorting your body body impression. So once again, you know, from the, the lower abdomen, from the navel downwards, that this should be some, should, this area of the body should be upright, not, not pushed back, and the lower back should be, should be tucked in, or find itself into the, into that position. Don't pull it in. Um, generally, if any, any muscular effort that you make, which should be subtle, is best done through the, 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 the muscles associated with the front of the body, so particularly the abdominal muscles and the chest muscles, because these actually are stronger than the back muscles. You don't get tensed up. So it's like more like pulling an opening through the chest than pushing through the back. See what I mean? It's more like lifting through the chest than, than, than pushing through the shoulders is what we're looking at. You know, to, 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 to prime the body. And things like the way adjusting the, the, your neck so that again, if, you're, if you're, your head is balanced properly, the skull is balanced properly on the neck, then it won't lean forward and pull the whole thing out or create strain in your neck. Strain in your neck will then transfer to strain in your lower back. The two ends of the spine um, are, are co-relative. And then the, hot, the long breath, you know, which means the, the full registering of the sensations as they move, as that, that pattern of sensation moves from the lower abdomen, the upper, the, the diaphragm, the chest, right into the upper chest, into the shoulders, just that, the, the long, full breath. Breathing in, breathing out, receiving that. And you feel the tingling occurs. But um, in sense of collecting and uh, focusing the mind, for the, the process involved is to make one, one element steady before we move on. So you find, you know, this is going quite nicely and your mind starts to feel happy and you get a bit tingling, you know, and then the cosmic spaces start opening up or whatever. Um, stay planet Earth, planet Earth, stay at home, you know, just go back to breathing in, breathing in, get, you know, zip off into rapture uh, right now. You not, haven't got the equipment for it. Or you're going to futter out some of the other side of Jupiter. Can't get back again. <laughs> So stay home, and when the, these, if you start to feel successful or excited or whatever, just notice it, and then, wait a minute, where's the breath now? Are you breathing out, or are you breathing in? And then filling it up so that, even in the, you know, in the, 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 as the breath, breath tends to go through a, a rhythm of beginning with a kind of a slight gentle spasm, if you like, from the no breath to the, Suddenly, the, the the opening 
the, 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 the gentle uh, inflection of sucking air in. So it begins with a slight kind of kick and then it swells. It swells to a large state and as, it, as it's swelling, tails off, it's, it's swelling, slows down. So the last elements of the in-breath are quite subtle and slow. And stay with that, you know, right to the last, the last increment of in-breath. So you find, you know, when is it actually just stopping on its own, just coming to a standstill? And then it's stopping. So there's no mental impatience or shortcuts. Yeah? And then the stopping. Now it's stopped. And now there's a slight tension builds up. You're not holding it, but there's a slight natural tension. Energy shifts. And now it's breathing out. And it starts subtly and it swells. And as you're getting towards the end of the out-breath, it tails off again to a subtle. Stay with that subtle tailing off to the last, and where the last element of physical sensation is that completes the end of the out-breath. And then the stop. And right at that point, resting, waiting, and then the something kicks in again and the breathing in. So of course um, the general advice is to, to recognize that your mind has to, the first it's easy to receive the middle of it, it's big, it's large, it's where the stimulation occurs. Most of us will need the vichara to say, well it's on the ending of the outbreath is slipping off, stay with that, you know, measure that. See which part of your body is affected by that. Make that as much a hands-on experience as possible. Not meddling with, not twiddling with, but just placing attention onto it till it stops. And then what's stopped? What does that mean? How do you know it stopped? And then yeah, it's starting. Really like that. that. The long breath. As we get familiar with this or feel a little more confident with this, still stay within body. So the next step of it is the short <coughs> breath, which um, I'm using as the actual movement of air. So within that whole experience, you don't experience air in your belly, you don't experience it in your chest, you probably experience it in your nose, back of your throat. Perhaps the back of your tongue. Short breath seems to be just riding on top of the long breath. So there's the short breath. Same thing. Short breath, long breath. And then placing the two together. So you breathe in, you're aware of the long breath and the short breath coming on top of it, like a person sitting on a horse. You know? You may notice that when the short breath finishes, the long breath still continues, breathing out. They continue after the ending of the, of the passage of air, or the experience of the passage of air. Putting those two together. I don't myself recommend, I don't have any 
issues about it. I don't suggest that one need focus on a particular point in the body, such as the nose or the abdomen. It, it, it's something that people can make uh, a, a central point in the teaching. I don't see it appearing in this sutta at all, so I don't feel like talking uh, making something that firm about it. Um, you know, I don't want to refute it, or but it's not there, so I don't really see a need to go into it. What I would suggest is more significant is that your point of reference is present moment. Where does it come to you? So this sense of the present moment, just being in the present moment, <coughs> tends to counteract the, the tendency to hunt and to be chasing. Where's the breath? You know, where's it gone? So that you, the mind is actually restless. And some mindsets, including mine, will always feel it's somewhere else. You know, there's always that sense of, probably got it wrong. Not there. So the mind is kind of agitated. Whereas if you just stay where you are, in your mind, if you like, and intend, I'm looking out for breath. When breath comes this way, I'll welcome it. You know? So you've got the, the doors open. And then, which, are, which, are this, which in this experience, set of experiences, breath? It's coming. It's coming to you. And you stay in that doorway and let the breath pass over you. With the, so you're feeling it as it passes through your, your mind, through your awareness point. Your awareness point is the present moment. That's where you receive the breath. You can only receive in the present moment. In the present moment, you can only receive. Searching is a thing of the future. Regretting is a thing to do with the past. In the present moment, you've neither lost it nor found it. When you think you're losing it, stay where you are. It's there. So you bring yourself to where you are. Where am I? Where's the breath? Stay there. Stay where you are. Well, no, I think I've lost the breath. You're never there. You're always in the searching. In the present, there's only the receiving. That makes it very insecure, very vulnerable, therefore wonderful. This is the first um, section, or first, first half of the first tetrad, and taking it a little bit at a time so that something is worked on and made well known, well felt um, throughout, a court, throughout a period of time, and just letting it affect your mind, slow your mind down, soften your mind up. Make your mind a little more attuned, get it balanced, and then enjoy that, stay with that, enjoy it. Make it something that's a, a friend. And then we can go a little <coughs> further.